again there, kiddos. We are on chapter 13 of John R. Erickson's Fear's Return, the third adventure in the Riley McDaniel series. And I gotta say, I read ahead a little bit and it's getting really good. So, I'm here at CCP watching the board, pretty quiet. If I pause for more than a second or two, it's because I'm checking all of the screens and all of the turbines, making sure things are running good. So, you'll have to pardon me in my pauses. All right, chapter 13 is titled, We Get the Sheriff Out of Bed. <clears throat> Excuse me. We were on our way to town. No one said a word for a long time. Grampy coughed and wheezed and blew his nose. At last, Mother leaned forward. Daddy, are you all right? I'm all right, sugar. I just ain't the sprinter I used to be. Aaron glanced into his rearview rear mirror. That was almost too easy. They didn't leave a guard. I can't believe they'd be so careless. He gave me a pat on the leg. But then, they didn't know we had spies in the canyon and were expecting them. Once again, Riley... You've distinguished yourself. In the back seat, Coy said, What about me? I was up the same tree. You're right, Coy. My mistake. You've distinguished yourself, too. I know your mother is proud of both of you. Beside me, Grampy whispered, It turned out... It, it turned out all right this time, Sprout. But going over to that canyon wasn't the smartest thing you ever did. Yes, sir. In the dark, the drive into town was even longer and slower than usual, and it was almost four o'clock when we drove into Canadian. The town lay dark and empty, without a sign of life. A cottontail rabbit hopped down the sidewalk in front of the Queen Theater, whose marquee announced the newest W.C. Fields movie called So's You're the Man. Our family would never see that movie because Mother couldn't stand W.C. Fields and neither could Aunt Maddie. They thought he was a nasty old man and not funny at all. Grampy loved his movies. Grampy gave Aaron directions to Sheriff South's residence a few blocks west of the courthouse. The modest frame house was dark when we walked up to the door. Somewhere in the distance, a dog heard us and barked a warning. Grampy tapped on the door. We waited. There was no light, no sound. He made a fist and banged on the door. Moments later, an electric light came on and Mrs. South opened the door. She was a pretty lady, even at this hour of the night, but not cordial. She explained that the sheriff had gone to bed late and needed eight hours sleep. After Grampy explained the situation, she told us to come inside. She went off into a bedroom. Moments later, Sheriff South emerged from the bedroom, wearing a bathrobe and looking as friendly as a badger. His eyes were rimmed with red. His steel gray hair was a rat's nest and the corners of his mouth were curled downward in a scowl. Abner, you better have a good reason for this. 
We do. We got five bank robbers stranded out at the ranch, and these boys here, he pointed to me and Coy, found the money. The sheriff's shaggy brows twitched in surprise, but all he said was, I'll be. Wallace and McGregor? That's right. Now, do you reckon you could come and help us round them up? I reckon. The sheriff turned to Aaron and looked him over. Who are you? Aaron offered his hand. Aaron Kaplan, you took a ride in my airplane last summer. Oh, yeah, I threw up. Me and airplanes don't get along. Grampy said, Jake, get your clothes on. It'll be daylight by the time we get there. The sheriff bristled. Abner, don't be giving me orders in my own house. He went off to the bedroom and closed the door. While we were waiting for the sheriff to dress, Aaron and Grampy made plans for the trip back to the ranch. Aaron suggested that the women and children stay in town with Mrs. Smith, and Mrs. South said that would be fine. I turned to Grampy with a pleading look. Grampy, let me go, please. I won't be any trouble, and I might be able to help. I want to see this thing through to the end. Grampy, Aaron, and Mother held a silent conference with their eyes. Mother was against it, but didn't want to say so. Grampy had mixed feelings. Aaron turned to Mother and said, I think it'll be all right, Sarah. I'll watch out for him. Mother heaved a sigh. Riley, you're going to give me gray hair. Please be careful and do as you're told. I promised that I would, and this time I had every intention of keeping the promise. She hadn't gotten around to scolding me for sneaking off to the canyon, but she hadn't forgotten about it either. At last, Sheriff South joined us, wearing a wrinkled white shirt, black frock coat, and the big hat that made his ears stick out. Grampy looked him up and down. Jake, you better take a gun this time. Those men aren't chicken thieves. Abner, in 32 years I've never met a crook I couldn't reason with. Truth is, most of them are ready to give up and go to jail. The sheriff noticed the pistol in Grampy's waistband. Besides, you're armed. Let's go wake up the posse. We said our goodbyes and followed the sheriff out the back door. The posse turned out to be a bloodhound named Colonel, who stayed in a wire kennel behind the house. Grampy and Aaron traded glances, and Grampy said, Uh, Jake, do you plan on recru recruiting a few more men? Won't need them, said the sheriff as he clipped the leash in the collar, Colonel's collar. Old Colonel will find the crooks, and he don't cost the county a dime. The sheriff saw that Grampy wasn't persuaded. Abner, when I decide to take up the fiddle, I'll sure ask your advice. But leave the sheriff and the me, hear? This ain't my first rodeo. I noticed that Aaron was gazing up at the stars. He was too polite to tell the sheriff what he was thinking. 
Spud and I hopped onto the bed of the truck and the men rode in the cab of Sheriff South's flatbed truck. Colonel rode in the back beside me. He wore the sad expression of a hound, but when he panted, it pulled his mouth into kind of a smile. He seemed happy to be going out on a big adventure and didn't give a thought to all the water his tongue was dripping on my leg. The sheriff stopped at the courthouse and picked up five sets of handcuffs, and we set out on the long drive back to the ranch. I tried to sleep, but the jolting ride over the river road kept me awake. Sheriff South complained about the rough road all the way out to the ranch, said it irritated his back. We arrived at the ranch around 8 o'clock. As we approached the two, dis two disabled cars in the road, Sheriff South slowed down and studied the scene. He saw a wet spot below each of the car radiators and nodded his approval. I wager they were surprised when they saw that. He sped up and drove toward the house. When we were within 50 yards of the house, he pointed up ahead. Look yonder. We looked toward the house. The crooks were sitting in a line on the porch in various poses of dejection. It was as though they were waiting for someone to come and arrest them. The sheriff coaxed, coaxed his lips into a smile. What did I tell you, Abner? When you leave no choice, you're glad to see a jailhouse. All a gun does is invite the other feller to draw his gun. Grampy nodded. Jake, account four men. One's missing. The missing man was Joe McGregor. Sheriff South grumbled. He won't get far. That dog can track down a sugar ant. We pulled up in front of the house and got out. Colonel loped right over to the gate and laid his mark on the post. Sheriff South walked to the porch. Along the way, he noticed a pile of shotguns and pistols lying in the grass. He nodded his approval. Ben Wallace was sitting on the step with his chin mashed into the palm of his hand. There was a sour look on his face, a mixture of fatigue, resignation, and grudging respect. Sheriff South gave them a nod of greeting. Morning, boys. Sure is pretty out here, ain't it? Ben Wallace lifted his head and stared at Aaron. Kaplan! Aaron smiled. Hello, Wallace. You can't seem to stay out of trouble, and we keep having the good fortune of sending you to jail. This is just like old times, isn't it? Wallace grunted and turned to me. You took the money, didn't you? I nodded. That's what I figured. But how'd you find it? I told him the story, adding, we were hiding up in the tree the whole time. He jerked his head around to Whitey. Hey, genius, did you hear that? Whitey shrugged. We thought it was just a porcupine. Wallace shook his head. What good is a plan if you work with idiots? Wallace pointed a finger at the sheriff. You never would have found that money. If it hadn't been for lousy luck, nobody would have. The sheriff ignored him. Where's McGregor? 
Wallace jerked his thumb over his shoulder, pointing north, up Pickett Canyon. He took off in the night, thought he could get away. I told him he might as well save himself some trouble and maybe a snake bite. Joe's a real hardhead. The sheriff nodded. Well, you boys know the routine. Face the house, hands behind your back. For a moment, the men didn't move. They stared at Sheriff South. Here was a shriveled old man, clearly unarmed, who was telling them to turn around and accept handcuffs. Aaron noticed their eyes and opened his jacket, exposing his pistol. Grampy's right hand closed around the pistol in his waistband. The men did as they were told, and the sheriff went down the line, snapping the cuffs around their wrists. I stepped up on the porch and drifted over to Whitey, who looked very dejected. Thanks for not shooting us, shooting at us last night. He gave me a sad smile. I ain't a killer. As Wallace was being cuffed, he said, Sheriff, my lawyer will have me out of jail in two hours. I wouldn't count on that. Now, you boys sit on the porch and have a nice talk till we get back with your buddy. Spud, he turned to Spud Morris. Find yourself a stout cedar post and stay with these yard birds. If one of them does anything foolish, you got my permission to whack them. Spud's eyes popped open in surprise. He nodded and went looking for a post. Ben Wallace's gaze lingered on Sheriff South. You know, you're the biggest fool in Texas trying to enforce the law without a gun. Every crook in the panhandle knows it and wants to hide out in your county. Why do you suppose we came here? The sheriff said nothing. So Wallace turned to Aaron. Kaplan, it's none of my business, but you need to talk to the sheriff. I don't think he's ever had dealings with a man like Joe McGregor. I'm Joe's best friend, and even I don't trust him. The sheriff's got his own way of doing things. Wallace shrugged. Well, it's no skin off my nose. He tossed a glance to a glance at the sheriff. Old man, I hope you can run, because if Joe McGregor points a gun in your direction, he won't be kidding. Chapter 14 is called The Hunt for Joe McGregor. Sheriff South talked with Aaron and Grampy about the best way of searching Pickett Canyon for McGregor. They decided that Aaron and the sheriff would take the dog and walk north up the canyon. Grampy and I would saddle horses and ride along the east rim of the canyon. If we saw anything, we would shout a warning to alert the men below. While we caught our horses, Sheriff South put the leash on Colonel and walked him in a circle around the house. North of the house, he found a set of fresh boot prints and gave his dog time to memorize the scent. Colonel let out a bay and strained against the leash. He was ready for the chase to begin. 
As Grampy and I trotted our horses up the steep winding trail that led out of Picket Canyon, he coughed and hacked several times. <coughs> Excuse me, I had to. The thought of it made me cough too. I asked how he was feeling and he said, I'm all right, but I feel, I'll feel a whole lot better when we send the riffraff to jail. Up on the flats, the sun hung like a big orange ball in a nest of clouds. We trotted our horses about half a mile to the north and rode to a spot where we had a wide view of the canyon. Down below, we could see Aaron and Sheriff South working their way through a ribbon of small trees that followed the dry, sandy bed of Pickett Creek. They were moving toward the seep springs where the trees grew heavier and taller. In the stillness of the morning, we could hear Colonel's barks echoing through the canyon. Grampy rested his elbows on the saddle horn and studied the country below. If a man was going to hide out, he'd go to those heavy cedars around the spring. Let's ride on and take a look. You still carrying those field glasses? I said yes. We followed the edge of the canyon another half mile until we could see the tops of the big cedars and cottonwoods around the spring. We dismounted and crawled on our bellies to the edge, just in case Joe McGregor was down there and armed with a rifle. I got the binoculars out of my saddlebags and gave them to Grampy. We must have lay there watching and listening for ten minutes. We saw nothing and the only sound in the canyon was the distant baying of the sheriff's dog. Grampy lowered the binoculars and struck a thoughtful pose. I'm not so sure he's down there. If he didn't stop, if he kept moving, the breath caught in my throat. Oh my gosh, the Higgins family! Grampy arched his brows and crawled away from the canyon rim. He pushed himself up to a standing position and brushed some stickers off his pants. Then he turned to me with a stern expression. You build up a reputation of not doing exactly what you're told. That's part of being a boy and I can't fault you for it, but it stops right now. Yes, sir. We've got to split up. One of us needs to stay here on lookout and the other needs to whip and spur and warn those Higgins. My horse has a grass belly and would be out of wind after the half, the first half mile. That little Arab mare of yours can run all day. Can you handle the job? Yes, sir. He leveled a finger at me. Son, we ain't playing junior range detective. That's a bad man out there, and he's in a desperate frame of mind. Warn the family. Tell them to load up in their car and drive as far away as they can, and you go with them. Under no circumstances are you to get yourself involved with that outlaw. Am I making myself clear? Yes, sir, I promise. He looked into my eyes for a moment, then pulled me into a hug. I'll wait here till Jake checks out those trees with the dog. If they don't find McGregor, We'll head for the Higgins' place as fast as we can. Now, you be careful here. I will. You too. 
I waved one last farewell and dug my heels into Dolly's sides. She had always been a hot little mare with an appetite for running, and as Grampy had said, she had the endurance that the desert Bedouins had bred into their horses. She wasn't as fast and a short sprint as our other horses, but she could lope for miles without getting winded. We flew across the prairie, dodging rocks and holes and little cat claw bushes that grew in the thin soil above the cap rock. Up until then, I hadn't given any thought to the fact that I would be seeing Laura again and that she and I weren't on the best of terms. Well, this was business, not pleasure. I would speak to her if the need arose, but I would remain cool and aloof to let her know that our friendship had suffered a fatal blow. Dolly and I covered the country in record time. We had to stop only once to open the pasture gate. When I loped into the Higgins' compound, I saw a saddled horse standing at the yard gate. It wore the Circle T brand on his left hip. I couldn't believe it. Tinsley was back. I leapt out of the saddle, pitched the reins over the fence, and ran through the gate. Tinsley and Laura were sitting in the glider swing on the porch. And when Jackie saw me running up the sidewalk, he must have thought I had come to give him a whipping. He rose from the glider and showed the palm of his hand. Now, Riley, just settle down. I started yelling before I got to the steps. Laura! Call your daddy and get the family together. You've got to leave. It's an emergency. Laura leapt out of the glider and met me at the steps. What is it? Daddy went to town to buy some feed. He took the car? She nodded, and I let out a groan. Laura, there's a bank robber on our ranch. We were tracking him through Pickett Canyon with a bloodhound, but we can't find him. He was heading this way. Laura looked at me straight in the eyes. Riley, this isn't one of your jokes, is it? It's not a joke. Get your mother and sisters. I turned to Jackie. We'll need your horse. Laura, you take one of your sisters on my mare and we'll put your mother on you and your other sister on Jackie's done. Hurry! She flew into the house. When she was gone, Jackie said, Wait a minute. I didn't say you could use my horse. How am I supposed to get home? Look, we don't have time to catch another horse. We need to get everyone out of here now. You can go with us. You and I will have to walk, that's all. Jackie rolled his eyes. Yeah, well, what if I don't want to walk? What if I have things to do? I told Mother I wouldn't be long. She'll be worried. He started backing down the sidewalk. Are you serious? This isn't my problem. You work it out. I have to go. He ran out the gate, fumbled his way into the saddle, and galloped away. He didn't look back. Just then, Laura rushed out the door and saw Jackie fading into the distance. What happened? He said he had to go home. Since 
You two seem to be pretty chummy these days. I won't see any more. But we're down to one horse. Riley, we can't find Rachel. She's not in the house. Just then, Mrs. Higgins and her middle daughter, Sally, came out of the house. Mrs. Higgins gave me a tense nod. She might have gone down to the chicken house. I had to stop and think. All right, we can't put all of you on Dolly. Mrs. Higgins, you get into the saddle with Sally behind. Laura, you'll have to walk. Mrs. Higgins shook her head. I can't leave without Rachel. I'll find her, but and we can catch up. I will not leave without my daughter. I looked her straight in the eyes. Mrs. Higgins, you're going to have to trust me on this. We don't have time to talk about it. I'll find Rachel. You have my word. She was silent for a moment as her gaze darted from me to Laura. I guess she decided she would have to trust me. She took Sally by the hand, ran out of the gate, and stepped up into the saddle. I had never seen Mrs. Higgins on a horse, but it was apparent that at one time in her life she had done some riding. I lifted Sally and set her behind the saddle, then turned to Laura. Head north toward the Howard place. As soon as I find Rachel, we'll be right behind you. Laura nodded. Be careful. Mother, let's go. I left them and headed toward the chicken house, which was located about 30 yards south of the house with the garage and shop in between. I glanced into the shop and garage and saw no sign of Rachel. I kept walking and started calling. Rachel! Rachel? I heard a muffled voice coming from the barn and moved in that direction. Rachel! It's Riley McDaniels. Your mother needs you up at the house right now. I cocked my ear and listened. Again, I heard something. Not a voice, but a swishing sound. It struck me as odd that Rachel didn't answer my call. I walked around the east side of the barn and looked into the corral. Three of the Higgins' horses had come in from the horse pasture for water. They were standing still. Their ears were perked and they were looking toward the lean-to shed on the south side of the barn. I opened the gate and walked into the corral. Rachel, where are you? This time, when she didn't answer, I felt a cold chill. Something wasn't right. The horses were accustomed to seeing children around the place, yet they seemed very, very curious about something under the shed. Okay, sorry, I had to answer the phone. I'll back up here a second. Rachel, where are you? This time, when she didn't answer, I felt a cold chill. Something wasn't right. The horses were accustomed to seeing children around the place, yet they seemed very curious about something under the shed. On instinct, I reached down and picked up a caliche rock about the size of an egg, then walked slowly toward the shed. Something told me not to call out again.
I crept toward a corner of the shed, and from there I could peek around the big cedar post and see inside. The area under the shed was shielded from the sun and lay in shadows. I could see a stack of prairie hay bales in the northwest corner, a wooden feed trough, two milking stanchions, Mr. Higgins's milking stool, and a feed bucket. When I saw the man in the shadows, I almost fainted. My breath caught in my throat and I felt as though every hair on my head was standing straight up. I pulled back and fought against the dizziness that was washing through my head. It was Joe McGregor. Chapter 15 Okay, kiddos, I'm going to stop here just in case this is a good stopping point. Love you, kiddos. Catch you later. Night-night.